0: I'm Amy Blackthorne, and this is Blackthorne Grove.
1: So hello, Amy. It's so great to talk to you again. I think this is the third time we've come together to do this. So yes. you know what they say after you do something three times, and it's a tradition.
0: It is. And I'm looking forward to many more of these fabulous salons.
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> So it's Beltane, May the 1st. Uh, So it's calendar Beltane, not astrological Beltane. Astrological Beltane's coming up in a a few days, which I love because it gives us like... A whole season. A whole season to celebrate. Um, You know, fertility and the fire and the new season of spring and so many things. Um, So we're recording this, like I said, on May the 1st, 2021. The moon is in Capricorn and of course the sun is in Taurus with uh, Mercury, Venus and Uranus, so a lot of Taurus energy. Um, what else is going on? I mean, Pluto's re- recently gone retrograde in Capricorn. So that's kind of nice. And it does kind of, with the astrological signatures um, that are coming up for the month of May, it's looking finally like we're getting a good month. And can you kind of feel the shift?
0: Oh my goodness, yes. It's like the when Beltane comes around, you can feel the sun shift. The planets have all sort of shifted their, their motion as well.
1: Yeah, shifted their shit they've been dumping on us for the last several <laughs> months. Um, oh, yes. <laughs> I think when I wrote about May, um, in my, like, my Wheel of the Year's forecast, I said that the Temple bosses are going on spring break for the first <laughs> few weeks of May. Because <laughs> the Temple bosses have been giving us a hard time. So it's, you know, the vaccine is rolling out. Things are slowly starting to improve. And, um I don't know. I think there are, at least for May, things are looking like we may really get that Beltane feeling, that Beltane bliss,
0: right? (laughs) Absolutely. By this time, by the time astrological Beltane rolls around, I will be fully vaccinated. I I had my vaccine shot. It'll be two weeks afterwards. I am thrilled.
1: That's so exciting. Mine is booked, I think it's next Saturday, my first one. So... I'm excited to get that <laughs> and get that process underway. So perhaps we could see each other again at some
0: point. Oh, I would love that. We, we, I, I think we need to have breakfast at Mystic South again.
1: I do. That was such a, it was just a, that was a magical, magical event, wasn't it? Like it was a spontaneous really magical thing. And here we are like all these months later. Um. So, we had a great time talking yesterday, and I could talk to you like for hours and hours without. I think we just, you know, it's like we, we get talking. So, we had to narrow down what we were going to talk about and, um, you know, kind of bridging us from the astrology of the day and the month ahead to plant spirits. Of course, like it, it's a short bridge because plant spirits are, um, you know, so connected with the astrological signatures, the zodiac and the planets. And for me, understanding like the symbolic resonance of plants in that way, like, is this a plant of Mars? Is this a, is this a plant that's ruled by water? That really helps me that to, <clears throat> to enter into kind of like the deeper meaning of the plant. And I know we talked about this uh, kind of in our get together that we had about how important like archetypes and symbolism, how these kind of big, they're both like kind of the big things around plant spirit witchcraft. And they're also like the roots under the roots. You know, that if we can see these things as symbolic and archetypal, that how much that really just kind of like opens up our field of vision so we can really see Hecate's garden. So now that I've rambled on about symbols and such, what do you have, what would you like to add?
0: love when when we sort of look at the way that each plant comes together we we sort of think of these associations and these personality traits of our plants as just having someone been scribbled down however long ago but there's such a deeper understanding that goes into how each one is understood if it's Mm -hmm. if it's a it's a fruit that's produced by lots of sunlight like an orange it'll have those solar associations. Mm -hmm. The, The problem comes when you have two plants that are commonly referred to as the same common name, but have completely separate magical practices, magical associations, and even herbal uses. So for example, bergamot the fruit, as opposed to bergamot the monarda is sometimes referred to as bergamot. So you have to really look at when you're discussing or you're diving into understanding a particular plant ally knowing really specifically what they're speaking about, because these two plants have the same common name, but they have wildly different magical uses. The Monarda is is a mercury plant. It's very airy. It's very, uh, that understanding. You get that, especially if you just look at the flower, it looks like a nice, cute, spiky haircut, right and ready for spring. Whereas bergamot is this small orangey fruit that is used to flavor Earl Grey tea. One come, they both come from that energy of the sun, you know, plants plants producing flowers, but it's not just how they've gotten here. It's the idea of how does that plant present itself? How does that plant give us its face? And that spiky haircut and the bright colors and the little show that happens is great for those mercurial associations you just have to make sure that you understand which plant they're talking about. Um, I've even found one book uh, in doing research for Blackthroat's Botanical Magic where it referred to the citrus bergamot but it actually gave you the associations of the flower bergamot and like I said they're they're totally separate.
1: <laughs> and I think you know then this is where like like you said looking at the, the plant itself is going to talk about its symbolism. Like, you, you know, like you said, it's got spiky, it, it's kind of stretching up, it's do, it looks quick, you know, it has that quickness about it, that mercurial nature about it, as opposed to something that's more like, it looks like sturdy and earthy or fiery, you know? So the elemental signatures of a plant, when you look at a plant, you will get like a sense of, of what those elemental signatures could be, but then you need to look in a good book um, just to see if what the standard ones are. I think that's so important. Like you said, I mean, there's some when researching um, entering Hecate's garden, even my beloved Ditney, which I think is probably my favorite. So Ditney of Crete, which is a, a related to oregano and marjoram. Um, there is an American version of it that's different. Like you said, not wildly different, but it's different. Um, and And then there's marjoram and oregano. And, you know, if you are looking to to purchase true Dittany of Crete, which is a little bit of an effort to purchase, um, you know, that you have to make sure that you're actually getting the the proper name and look at the Latin name of any product. So you're not getting sold, for example, marjoram, um, which is lovely, but not the same as Dittany, which you can also put on your pizza. Um, but, but when you put Dittany on your pizza and you invite it in as a plant medicine, then you're eating your pizza as preparation to maybe do some communication with spirits. So it's like a two for one. So it's like knowing um, and, and getting back to those astrological properties. If you know a little bit about astrology and you say, oh, this is a plant that's ruled by Mercury, like you said, then you're going to have an, an instant idea about what the archetype of that plant is. Um, So that's why I think, you know, getting to to know plants in terms of their signatures and also their appearance is so important. Um, And, you know, one of the things that kind of after we talked yesterday, I was thinking about, I was thinking about, I mean, we had talked about the doctrine of signatures and how plants look like, what their correspondences are and and so on. Um, And then I was also thinking about the principle of sympathy. Which I think we didn't touch about touch on our meeting yesterday, but I think sympathy is so um, important in plant medicine as well. At the symbolic level, you know, the whole idea that plants have a consciousness, plants have uh, emotions, plants have drives and desires, the much much the same way that we do. I think that's so. Oh, excuse me. I think that's so important for someone who's starting into plant spirit um, witchcraft, don't you? Oh, absolutely.
0: When we look at how we can incorporate those same ideas, especially if you have a substitution that needs to be created, it's so important to not only look at your materials and figure out if they have the same astrological associations, but to really try and get in touch with that plant ally itself and say, okay, is this is this something that's really rooted in the same ideas as my mystery plant that I have to replace. You can't just
1: throw something in and hope it works. Right, because they do have that, you know, they do have a complete personality that looking at the kind of the symbolic aspects of it are like clues. It's like when we're getting to know someone, you know, we might, I always think of like online dating. Yes. Starting to get to know a plant. So it's like The correspondences you and I might write about in a book, you know, it's a plant of mercury, it's ruled by air, um, you know, it's associated with, I don't know, let's say Hecate is keeper of the keys or, and the color blue, whatever profile we give to it, that's just like the little bullet points that someone might put on an online dating profile. It's not the whole story.
0: Right, it just gives you enough to swipe right or swipe left, you know, figure out which way you're going here. Right.
1: this is going to be just a quick relationship um and then when you talk about making substitutions it's a, it's the same thing it's like well you know this plant isn't available so oh this one over here has the same list of things so perhaps if i go a little bit deeper i'll find that i can that i can date this plant as well <laughs> maybe it's because it's really- of Deltane, i'm feeling the dating dating um metaphors here <laughs> no it's it's perfect
0: because not every relationship is meant to be for life sometimes you want a a companion plant and sometimes you want you know you want to be married to something you want to have a plant in your life for the rest of your life mugwort and i will be together in multiple lives i'm sure uh but you know maybe turmeric is is just a little
1: spring fling it's interesting that you mentioned turmeric i um i always have it because i do think it's kind of a staple and it's has a lot of good um, medicinal kind of uses, but it's not one that I'm like enthusiastic about. I feel, you know, like, but Mugwort, you're right, like Mugwort, it's like, we've been together before, we'll be together again.
0: Um, I think it's just because I'm anemic. Me and turmeric don't get along well. It, it keeps the iron out. I need the iron. <laughs> right. we'll,
1: we'll like high five on the way past each other in the office, but. <laughs> right. <laughs> Maybe have a drink once, Go to, go for coffee. Right, right. Peel <laughs> it out. Feel it out. If turmeric has something we need, we'll go and we'll do that coffee where you go and you say, well, you know, I've got this thing and I need to ask you for a small favor, but it's not <laughs> a big favor. It's right. Big thing. It's not like you go to a wedding for me and pretend to be my partner or something like that. It's not a big thing. Yeah. Like, I feel like I ask Mugwort for things like that all the time. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> <laughs> but you built a relationship. Yes, over years and so many years, right? Decades now. So um, now I'm just thinking about turmeric and I'm like, oh, turmeric. Um. I can remember being, I was, uh, I started my first
0: greenhouse job when I was in school. I was in school for horticulture. I I went across the street. I went to the local greenhouse and said, I want a job. And he's like, okay, that's cool. You like herbs here. What we'll give you, you can do all the herbs. You can have all the things I'm like, I want to grow mugwort. He's like, nope, drawing a line there at mugwort. So I was right there, probably
1: 16 years old. Me and mugwort, right there. Right, I, and I don't even know how I got started with mugwort. Do you know how you got started with mugwort? No, I kept I kept looking for
0: mugwort. Mugwort was reaching out. I couldn't find the actual plant, and then one day it just appeared in my
1: yard. I love that when it's so like, there's that synchrony, right? There's mm-hmm. that you know that you were reaching out for that plant, and it knew you were reaching out for it. Um, yeah, I'm trying to, I think maybe it was when I was about the same age and I discovered that my name, Cynthia was a, like, um, an epithet basically of Artemis, um, and I probably had a Scott Cunningham book and looked up, you know, plants of, I don't know how it happened, but I've had a love affair with Mugwort ever since. And I love the look of Mugwort. I find it beautiful. I love it here the way I grow it close to the house to keep it out of the wind. And it grows taller than me. And it's, you know, very mugworty. And I love the smell, although perhaps some of my housemates are not as crazy about the smell. But for me, and I know other people have issues with the smell of mugwort. um, For me, the aesthetic of mugwort is very pleasing in all ways, visually, the smell of it, the feel of it. I love all those aspects of it. Um, and I think when we're talking about plant spirits, talking about aesthetics is so important because first of all, aesthetics are really important. If we don't find the plant we're working with pleasing to the senses, um, we're probably, it's probably not the right plant for us or there's something, there's something wrong. Um, it doesn't have to be the most beautiful plant in the world um, I've never particularly found orchids aesthetically pleasing. For example, I understand other people do. Mm-hmm. I'm not judging orchids, um, <laughs> but I tend to like. I tend to to my aesthetic is I like things that are a little bit messy, a little bit dirty. I love decay. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember when I was first starting out with keeping her keys. I was so I was just learning like the importance of of images, like of having. An image with some text, and how that really helped uh, to convey what I was trying to communicate with people. And I took this picture of a rotting rose. This is a true story I, in my garden because I love roses. I think that to me, that's so aesthetically pleasing. I love the smell, the look of them, and 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 then I put a passage from uh, the Greek magical papyri that was about summoning the spirit of a dead cat. And I thought to me, this was super aesthetically pleasing. I, and I realized that not everybody shares my aesthetic, which is cool. Um, <laughs> I know you would have been like, oh, that's a cool, that's cool. But, but you know, it helped, it, I learned a lot um, from people's reactions to that, you know, that what's aesthetically pleasing to me is not necessarily aesthetically pleasing to someone else. And I think so we have to talk about our personal aesthetics and then because we are living in a social media world these days um, I'd love to hear your thoughts about aesthetics and social media and kind of like sharing images perhaps not one of rotting roses with a passage from an ancient text about (laughs) cat using cats and sacrifice but but
0: (laughs) it's funny one of my one of my dearest flowers in the in the growing sense. That same greenhouse job, my, my boss had a hedgerow of viburnum that had this tiny little white star flowers and little pink throats and just these bursts of these gorgeous flowers. And you'd walk up to them and just one day during early, early summer, they'd just explode with scent. And it's one of the most entrancing, beautiful, incredible scents. I mean talk about jasmine and gardenia and and roses and viburnum flowers are by far my 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 most favorite scent and so i i sort of needed that feeling in my house i went and I, i found one in the local garden center and i dug a corner of the yard up right there by the driveway and put in this gorgeous viburnum and it wasn't until i was halfway back to the front door that i recognized why I found this so aesthetically pleasing. What is what is the other part of the? Oh yeah, the common name. So viburnum's one of viburnum's common names is devil's shoestring. So it was a great protective plant. It was going to make sure that anybody who wished to do harm to anyone on site, my on inside the property boundaries, you know, it would trip them up. It would keep them from causing any harm to anyone in there. So it's it's very important that we pay attention, not just to the, just to the, the things we find aesthetically we find pleasing, pleasing, but the, understanding, but the understanding, that understanding that when we move forward, forward, keeping our pieces keeping our pieces together is really important for maintaining that magical boundary, those aesthetics that we understand can be very empowering. By the same token, the flip side of that is, if we take too much time and too much energy devoting to recording every magical practice and putting it online putting it on TikTok putting it anywhere we then become so involved in the aesthetic that we lose the magical so Mm -hmm. it's important to have balance just like with anything else
1: I think that's so important because like there's we, I mean, we see so many beautiful images and certainly like the rise of the use of like stock photography, you know, professional photography. Um, I mean, I use it where it's appropriate that, you know, this can communicate that things can be perfect when we're sitting there, uh, you know, in our own kitchen or wherever we do our magic um, and things don't, you know, there's, I think there's a TV show called Nailed It or something like that. You know, and I think like when we're home doing our stuff, it's like nailed it. It's like, you know, this beautiful, I don't know, let's say um, like a, I don't know, let's say we're doing a spell. We're making a talisman or something. And it doesn't look, the, the the roses start to wilt. You know, everything starts to fall apart. It doesn't look good. And, you know, when we're making like a formula, um, that, you know, maybe it doesn't look as good as when I share a picture or you share a picture and it's in the bottle and it's all lit right. You know, maybe yours kind of smells a little funny um, <laughs> or maybe things just go awry. And I think if it's aesthetically pleasing to us before we consider it, making it look like perfect for sharing with others, I think that's, that's where that line is, where we have to, to say, does this look super magical to me? Even if the rest of the world is going to think it's weird to share pictures of dead roses, um, (laughs) that to me it resonates and it has a true aesthetic. I would say that's like an illuminated aesthetic when it vibrates with us as opposed to like, I think sometimes with social media it can be like almost a shadowy aesthetic. Where yes. we get almost like possessed by social media and seeing what other people doing are doing and we can think we, it can be kind of like debilitating when you see something that's super perfect don't you find
0: oh yes the the egregore the greater of facebook or instagram or twitter they they have this immense energy themselves so we get attracted and enhanced we, we want to, we spend so much time thinking about that spirit that it becomes about appeasing that, that spirit rather than making sure that our, our magic, our, our witchcraft, our communication is for its own sake. You know, it's, it no longer becomes about the magic and then becomes, oh, this looks really nice. I better make sure someone knows
1: that I'm doing something cool. Right, the coolness. And that's certainly a part of the aesthetic, of any aesthetic, right? Is like you doing it to look, um, you know, doing it to look a certain way or to present our our image, right? Aesthetic can be about image as well, which is important. Um, But I ultimately think that when it comes to working with the plants, that our, whatever we're creating with them, it's meant to be whole, which is not necessarily nice and not necessarily perfect. Nothing ever looks in real life like it does in professional photography, on social media. Um, And, you know, just kind of sit with what feels right to you. And if you have like our books or if you have a teacher you know, check in with them. Don't let social media be how you learn witchcraft. A thousand percent.
0: It's, <laughs> it's a great way to meet friends who feel the same way that you do. Yeah. It's a great way to, to network and create lasting friendships. I mean, I have friends that I met in Live Journal in 2002, maybe. Those connections can last you for the rest of your life, but it is not how we learn magic. It's not a great tool. It's it's great for giving you ideas if you already know what you're doing, mm-hmm. but it cannot replace having a genuine learning experience. Watching someone waft a, an incense stick inside of a glass jar is incredibly aesthetically pleasing to me. Mm-hmm. But there's no way for me to to feel whether or not that magic is really coming through on their end. You can't feel that the hair stand up on your arm or the, the muscles on the on your back giving you chills from somewhere a thousand
1: miles away on on line. I think that's so true. And and I think you really hit on, you know, what it is to know that you're in the flow of doing your magic is when you start to get those feelings, like you get the bodily sensations. Right, because, you need, go ahead. You know, I was just gonna say, because it's it's working, like when you work with plants, they work on you. Yes. And you get your body reacts to them in such powerful ways.
0: Yeah, having a a two-way communication is much more empowering and understanding than just being able to watch something that looks nice and makes you feel nice. You know, instead of looking for the dopamine hit, go and spend some time in nature and figure out what what they're trying to explain to you, how they want to teach you, what they want to teach you.
1: I think that's. Are we getting a little bit, from bit of somewhere? From somewhere? Where? aware, Second here. Second here. Hello. I think we've got rid of our feedback. There we go. You Playing a little, having some fun with us today. <laughs> <laughs> um. So you mentioned. So you mentioned communicating with plant spirits. So I think this is you know, why we're in this big, like kind of big picture business about archetypes and signatures and um, aesthetic, I think it's really helpful to talk about boundaries. Like, I mean, I, in a practical sense, we have to have boundaries with the plant spirits that we work with. But there's also like so much more to explore um, in terms of boundaries. And something that, I mean, I'm a certain age, I'm a few years, at least a few years older than you. Um, so I've kind of, grew, and, and I mean, you've grown up too, probably with the rise of social media. Yes. But I remember like when I learned witchcraft, it was before there was social media, you know, it was me in a book in the local witch, witchy shop. Um, this woman who lived in this apartment that I found through friends, you know, like it was this kind of thing. Mm-hmm.
0: So you had it, to know a person who knew a
1: person. You had to know a person. So there wasn't this public, like you said, egregore, this public presence, a public construct, even if we want to talk in more like kind of mundane terms, right, about witchcraft. So to be, so I learned, you know, way back in the day from this woman in her apartment, you know, about the witch's pyramid. And to me, as much as it is, really enlivening and can be uplifting to share on social media and to talk about things that we do. I am really still quite secretive for all of my sharing. Like I'm very intentional about what I put in a book or what I share, what I don't share. I have really firm boundaries about this. And for me, it really loops back um, to the witch's pyramid. So I thought I would just read a little section um, from my book, Entering Hecate's Garden. It's a ritual, I talk about the sacred seven forces and laws, which are of course linked to the planets and astrology, uh, and linked to the witch's pyramid. So I talk about them and there's a ritual in the book as well. So I just wanted to, to read this little bit from the section on um care, which translates to be to be silent. Earth covers fire and water stops air. It is the meeting of land, sea and sky, it is our interface with the external world. It is the protection we need as we pursue wholeness. It is the discipline to keep silent when necessary to protect what is sacred to us. So, to me, that speaks to the importance of boundaries and keeping silent about what we keep silent. Um, this is, and right now the sun is in a strong square with Saturn who is so associated with discipline and secrets and so on. It seems like the perfect time to kind of just touch on this a little bit. So what are some of your thoughts about boundaries and keeping silent and the, con- the connection between boundaries and keeping silent?
0: So I have a passage from Sacred Smoke. Okay. Before we get to the juicy bits, I wanted to look behind the scenes of magical workings, which is pyramid is the key to making sure that your magic continues to be successful and doesn't succumb to easy pitfalls. And the witch's pyramid is to know, to will, to dare and to keep silent. And this means you have to understand what you're doing both by reading books and doing your research. You exert your will and have the drive to complete that spell. It's the tingle you get in your bones that says this is going to work. When you have the nerve to go through with it, all the wishing in the world doesn't amount to the hill of beans if you don't actually do the magic. But lastly, you have to let the magic work without drawing attention to it. No posting about it on social media or calling all your friends to announce you did the best spell to create a new love interest, a new job, or to banish that jerk in 3B. There are a few reasons for this and they all have to do with having faith in your work. Publicizing a spell lets all the doubts of people who don't believe in what magical people do. They're pouring buckets of water on your spark. Don't let them. Mm. All that poo-pooing that can make you doubt yourself. Don't you dare. Nothing can kill your magic faster than doubt. If you start doubting yourself don't even pull out the cauldron honey save those herbs for a rainy day because believing in yourself is what i do i've been doing this a long time i'll even write you a note even your magical friends who love and support you may have different ideas about your magical workings and how they should work and why even a small variable opens up room for doubt and we've already talked about what the doubt monster does even if your friends don't doubt you and think that you can do it they may see you with a different outcome like wanting you to end up with their dorky cousin Chad, who you think is a toad. You don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. No one wants to be caught in the middle of Chad and his creeper vibe with a bad breath. Just say no. It's important. It's important that when we talk about when we talk about that keeping silent, there's it, there is absolutely zero to do with shame. There's there's shame in the world, and that's not what we do. It's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is allowing your magic to nurture into the soil to bloom in its own time without the shadow of doubt, taking away some of that sun that you've worked so hard to provide this this baby magical working. Mm-hmm. You're fertilizing it with your love and attention, but by letting it go when it's when that magical spell has been cast and sent out to the universe, it keeps you from worrying about whether or not it's going to come to to pass, how long it could take to pass, or what way that it comes to us. You know, I just have to know what's going to happen and send it out there and then go do something completely different. Go do the dishes, go vacuum the floor, Get do something to get your mind off of what you've just set into motion. Remember, magical thinking is not, I wonder what will happen. You're already thinking about it as it has happened. Mm. We're already making sure that we've stamped it into the, the fabric of reality that this has come to pass. That way it leaves no room for doubt.
1: I love how you brought up like, shame and doubt and how how banishing them is so important. And that's part of our boundary work, because that's work with our establishing boundaries with our shadow side, right, that those fears and those concerns. And it's not about keeping silent because we're ashamed of what we or because, you know, we think that other people will think we're bonkers. For me, at least, it's because, you know, I keep silent because I know what I'm doing works and I don't want other people to know. (laughs) It's like, you know, you don't want people to necessarily be like, whatever she's doing, I want to do it. So please, you know, it's like when you get asked, you know, will you do a spell for so and so because they're having a problem and it's like, no, thank you. Um, I won't do that. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with people doing it, but I won't do it for people that are like outside of um, kind of pr- having a deep relation to the world of spirits, you know, the deeper world, like I won't do it for, for anyone like that, because I just think that there is a inherently a lot of mystery, and that we should be proud of what we're doing, but pr- being proud of our accomplishments and proud of our practice doesn't mean that we have to say a thing about it to anybody.
0: Exactly. I have a dear friend who I've known for, gosh, 15 years or so. And during the pandemic, she found witchcraft and decided this is something she wanted to pursue. And it seems like five minutes later, she was offering to do spells for money for people. And it's a slippery slope because you're still just trying to figure out what you know, why you know it, and where you got it from. But putting that added pressure
1: on... on Oh, we have another, Victoria. Mercury's come back. I think, he's gone. <laughs> I think it was just a flyby. Uh, if we are able to
0: understand where we're coming from without the undue influences of people who honestly could just want something for themselves and aren't necessarily invested in your understanding and your growth, it, it can be doing a disservice to yourself.
1: Definitely. And if you don't have those boundaries, and if you're, enthu- and I understand enthusiasm, right? I mean, we see, like, we, we figure this, this out, and we have that thrum in the soul, and we're happy, so we want to share with other people. So I understand enthusiasm, um, but I ultimately think the practice of, like, a, a deeper witchcraft is about developing wisdom. That's really what we're doing. And, you know, so it's good to be enthusiastic. Um, tell it to the plants they'll listen. Absolutely. (laughs) They'll be happy to hear. So I think that brings us to this whole thing. And you mentioned it earlier. So I want to walk us back to um, talking to plant spirits. And for me, with talking about boundaries, I always feel like there's a concern that we can have boundaries that get so rigid that nothing gets in there, impermeable, impenetrable, right? It's like we become this fortress, like no one's going to mess with me. And I teach a meditation um, that's available on the Keeping Our Keys SoundCloud, uh, which I call the uh, take no shit, do no harm
0: meditation
1: mm-hmm. or the strong back, soft front. And when we are starting to develop these relationships with our plants, I think that's so key. Is that we 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 have boundaries with the plants because plants can possess us. Mm-hmm. Really strong plant spirits can possess us the way we get possessed by social media. Um, you know, I think I have certainly, perhaps at times been, maybe looking back to like early days with mugwort, or certainly if you get into like some of the psychedelics, like ayahuasca. I think a lot of people are. I mean, I've used it. I didn't really. I don't like things that make me throw up um Mm -hmm. (laughs) but you know you see a lot of people who to me it's like oh you've been possessed by the spirit of ayahuasca this is all you talk about this is all you think about you know you can't wait to do it again so there's all that kind of like not having good boundaries in that, that that area like no i am the sovereign one here i understand that you are um a spirit onto yourself a true archetypal force Um, But I'm still sovereign. And so I have a boundary about how I'll let a plant work on me. Um, So with going into it with that idea that we're going to be sovereign, what are your tips for communicating with plant spirits?
0: One of my favorite ways is to actually be physically present with the same plant that you're attempting to work with. Uh, for example, uh, you can have an essential oil to inhale. You can you can have a piece of a leaf to, to connect you and ground you, to really keep you grounded in the idea of this is the plant that we're we're working with just this moment. If it's something that's potable, you can create a tea with it. You can create you know something that's nice and can take that in that spirit into yourself because while you're in a a trance state in a meditative state. Being able to reach out to the the greater spirit of peppermint, the greater spirit of frankincense or cardamom, being able to have a piece of that within your within your hand within your body, uh, makes it a lot easier for us to focus on that relationship and creating that dialogue because you're involving more senses. The more senses you involve, the more grounded that experience becomes. So reaching out you're know, going to your your sacred place a lot, a lot of us had our own internal landscape that we've spent years building and sort of jurying taking that step towards meeting with cardamom or lavender or uh, patchouli understanding that that plant will will or won't come decide to come and meet with us it is completely at their discretion you can't force them uh, but having that interview space is a great place to really get that, that dialogue started. Just like we, we, we've both done interviews for our podcast, we've, we've been interviewed for uh, each of our books, we know what interviews are like, you know, where did you grow up? What did you, what made you interested in witchcraft? How did you get your start? Plants are the same way. You do that background information, you do that background search, and sort of get an idea, get the lay of the land. Patchouli is great to work with money, it's physical energy, it's associated with sex. Okay, going into that space, either by holding a patchouli leaf or maybe a gentle inhale of some uh, patchouli essential oil will get you dialed in the same way we dial into intuitive clients. You know, I'm going to ask you your your name and your date of birth just so I can zero in on your energy. I'm going to talk to patchouli so I can zero in on that energy. There are 986 members of the Pagostumum family. The only one of them is Pagostumum cavalin or Patchouli. So genera is very generic. <laughs> uh, make sure that you're dialed into the right plant, which is why Latin names can really help. So have those interview questions, sort of figure out how can we work together? We don't, we don't use the word use because we're not looking for an extractive relationship. We're looking to work in concert With these plants and develop those relationships that can last you in a
1: lifetime. I think that's so true. Like having some kind of physical sample of the deeper spirit that you can touch, smell, see, drink, rub on your skin, um, even like listen to if it's a plant out in nature, like listening. You know, I had in my imagination that just popped in like, we don't have oak trees on the property but so I go to a place not too far from here that has like an oak grove and I like to lay on the ground and listen to the, 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 the physical noises that the oak tree makes
0: mm-hmm. and then
1: I find that helps me connect to the spirit of oak which of course is such a mighty mighty uh, plant spirit to connect with so I think those are really really great tips and I love how you hit upon like our inner temple you know the inner nation some some of us build a whole nation or continent not just a temple that that's our sacred space like the temenos within and that is where we'll experience that deeper medicine of the plant and you know just for me one of the most important aspects of teaching students plant spirit witchcraft is do you do you understand do the profile, read the profile, do the interview, and then have a conversation. And that conversation takes place in your imagination. So let the plant come to you um, as it wills. You know, don't try to force, you know, if you're working with a certain potion or so on and everyone else is seeing beautiful angels, for example, um, and you're not then trust that medicine that if you, maybe you needed to see a disturbing image um, because that's an an invitation, you know, to solve your problem or whatever, you know, whatever brought you in relation to that medicine.
0: Yeah, it's really important, especially, I think even more so if it's something that we have a physical allergy to, Mm -hmm. to experience it in your spirit temple, to experience it in your inner landscape, you can understand what that relationship is bringing to your personal practice my myself my mother all my sisters are deathly allergic to rose oddly enough my mother who is deathly allergic to rose named my older sister rose like what are you experiencing with that relationship what are you putting out into the universe with that relationship mm-hmm. and how can it add
1: or take away from your personal inner landscape and your magical practice so, and you could work with cards or if you can look at images, you know, certainly that can help you to connect with like the more archetypal spirit of a particular plant. And and I like how you mentioned like getting into the family and the genus of a plant, um, you know, that like you said there's hundreds upon hundreds of thousands of plant spirits. And um, it, it's, if we have something that can, help tether us to the specific one. Um, I find it's really beneficial. And if you just kind of go wandering in Hecate's garden, although I am going to lead us in a meditation (laughs) very soon, where we are going to go wandering in Hecate's garden and uh, see what plant spirit wants to come forward to us. So this has been such a great, great chat. If you are watching this as a recording or listening to it as a podcast, we recorded this live, like I said, on Beltane. So there's going to be uh, a meditative recording that you can access um, on our different platforms. And um, for those who are attending live, there'll be some bonus content as well that they'll have access to. Um, So thank you so much. I guess before we wrap up the podcast, Amy, what, uh, Let's talk a little bit about what you're working on now and where they can find you and what you've already got out there in the world.
0: Okay, my most recent release was Blackthorn's Botanical Brews. So if you'd like to learn more about creating your own magical teas to commune with those botanical spirits, this is a great book to start with. This is, there's also potions within here that uh, do include alcohol. There's magic using alcoholic beverages uh, however, for our, our sober friends, there are sober substitutions. So we make sure that we denote that. Um, I want to make sure that everyone feels included in this magical practice. Uh, my next project, I'm so excited. I've just turned in my manuscripts to my incredible editor. And uh, Judica has Blackthorns Protection Magic, a Green Witch's Guide to Self-Defense in her hot little hands right now. So that'll i be out not quite soon enough. <laughs> it talks about magical protection for mind, body, and spirit, as well as includes an entire section on physical self-defense, things like escaping rope, duct tape, zip ties, um, someone's following you, what do I do? Things that happen in the real world because as much as we love and appreciate our, our magical spirituality, sometimes it, it can be dangerous to us uh, on a physical level. I've, I've gotten death threats, I've had people show up at events, um, I had a man show up at my house with a claw hammer threatening to, to harm my pets and burn down my house. Like these are the things that happen in the real world. And as scary as they can be, they're less so when you're prepared and you know what to do and how to handle them. So we'll talk about those things in Blackbird's Protection Magic, and it should be out late fall, early, early, early winter. Uh, for those of you who are um, visiting us today, we also have a little bit of um, something special.
1: Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, I think we should talk
0: about that. What do you got? What's your so, treat? <laughs> uh, right on amyblackthorn.com, you can see it's the very first thing it's listed for today. I have a Beltane anointing oil that is, is gonna be perfect for today. Something you can make at home, very easily find it, the materials for it. So the first ingredient is lavender essential oil and that's five drops of lavender for love, health and for peace. Then five drops of tangerine essential oil for purification, for joy, and a little bit of physical energy to try and break out the last of those remaining winter blossoms. And the last is that grounding incredible patchouli for physical energy, sex, and it helps bring in money. So it's definitely good for the spring. You can just add those together with a quarter cup of your personal favorite uh, carrier oil and it makes a great anointing oil for not only bless it and keep it on hand, but when you need that energy later, it's too hot in the summer you feel lethargic let's break out a little bit of that anointing oil for your magical practice so you can find that recipe uh right on amyblackthorn.com. or uh, please feel free to contact me if you uh found it or you need to act a little bit yes sweet orange is a great uh substitution for tangerine
1: uh even mandarin essential oil so absolutely great question yeah Phyllis, it's a great question and you have lots of like oils and teas available on your website as well.
0: Yep, spell candles, oils, teas, oils that were blended from Blackbird's Botanical Magic. And those of you who have Blackbird's Botanical Magic on your bookshelves, reminder that there is a, a substitution guide in the very back. So when you're looking at the recipe index, those uh, essential oils that are listed in the right-hand column, that's a ready made essential oil substitution list. So feel free to
1: look at that with new eyes. I think that's fabulous that you included that in that book. Um, so I've got um, Entering Hecate's Garden out if you are interested in a more uh, psycho, spiritual, mythic, poetic, and practical um, approach to plant spirit, magic, medicine, and mystery. Um, my next book is going to be Entering Hecate's Cave, which is a deep, soulful dive into the journey of healing into your own wholeness. So that will probably be out in uh, late 2022. And um, as always, you can uh, apply to join the Covina Institute, my school. We do a new curriculum every month based on an epithet of Hecate. We always have a plant that we include, a stone, a ritual, and so on. This month we're exploring one of my favorites, Dittany of Crete. So, and you can learn more about everything in the Keeping Her Keys universe on keepingherkeys.com. My offering for all of our fabulous participants today is uh, the pink potion, which we've been working with in the school for the last little while. We had our uh, pink full moon lodge the other night, which was a joyful event. So this pink potion has um, rose petals, hawthorn berries, And Dittney of Crete, which you can substitute. Um, You can see entering Hecate's garden for more and making substitutions um, the way I teach it. And uh, you can find that by going to keepingherkeys.com/slash free resources. It doesn't appear anywhere else on the website. These are little kind of um, hidden hidden bonuses for people. So if you type in um, free resources after the keeping our keys.com. You'll find that. So thank you so much, Amy. This has been so wonderful. I uh, look forward to, we'll have to do this again in the fall. Uh,
0: so for those of you who want to check out my classes, um, spell kits, candles, teas, any of that beautiful magical stuff for the next two weeks until uh, the end of May 15th, there's a 20% off coupon code for you guys for paying uh, being with us, paying attention, um, and sticking with it. So 20% off everything on the website, Uh, just enter code plants with a capital P at checkout. And it'll give you 20% off the
1: entire store. That's awesome. So plant capital P plants, plants, plural plants, plants. Okay. plants. All right. Thank you again. So everyone joining us live, just a reminder, we're going to shift to the meditation.